Well, Merry Christmas and welcome to the Shores Church. It is so great to see all of you this morning. It feels weird doing a, to a degree doing a Christmas Eve service in the morning, so if I say evening, please forgive me at, at whatever point. But as we celebrate Christmas today, we are in the fifth and final message of our series, uh, With Us to Redeem Us. We, through the fall, looked at the different names of God, and then we got to kind of this transition into the holiday season where we got to this final name of God that we've been really looking into, Emmanuel, God with us, that God sent Jesus to be with us so that he could redeem us. And we were diving into Matthew chapter 1, and we were going through the different, uh, or through the genealogy and the different names in the genealogy. Now, if you've ever taken time and you've studied the Old Testament, specifically the book of Numbers, that you would see an ongoing list of genealogies that so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, to the point where you fall asleep and you forgot who begat who, and you had go back and you start it all over again. And we looked at this list, and we specifically pulled out a few names. Because I think that there's something interesting with genealogies if you're willing and able to take the time to dive into it and say, what's going on here? And as we dove into it, we saw in most genealogies, they don't mention the women. In the Matthew 1 genealogy, they mention five women in particular. And we've taken the last four weeks to go through the first four. And today we're going to be going through the last uh, woman that's mentioned in this genealogy. I'll give you a hint. Her name is Mary. But as we've been going through this, we saw individuals like Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. And Matthew is doing this specifically. If you're not aware, the thing that we need to pay attention to with the uh, genealogy and the book and gospel of Matthew is Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience to prove that Jesus was actually the Messiah. And as we go through here, it's interesting because this is breaking with trends that Typically, if you're writing to a Jewish audience, you're writing to the men in the Jewish audience who would then go home and tell their women, uh, or their, 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 uh, yeah, there we go, to their wife, to their their daughters, and would explain, (laughs) I'll recover, Um, (laughs) but would explain to them what was going on. So this is the way that the information was passed and was taught. And so in this particular case, Matthew's starting something. Matthew's introducing something that is about to be a complete change with how things function. You see, Matthew starts listing these women specifically because he's trying to get the the Jewish audience to be ready for something. That the way things have been is no longer the way things will be. That it's not just Jesus coming and proving that Jesus is the Messiah. It's Jesus coming to be the Messiah for all. That the Gentiles will be invited in. The women will be invited in. That everybody is brought in and on an equal level playing field in this uh, new day that is to come. As we look at this as well, though, I want to bring the attention that Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, as we've talked about over the last four weeks, not only were they Gentile women that didn't fit in, they shouldn't have been in the, the genealogy, They're women that have stories and they have struggles. And what's really being pointed out to us is that some of the individuals that are considered more perfect or individuals to look up to kind of get knocked down a little bit in this genealogy. But these four are brought up. They say, well, they have issues. They have backstories. They have struggles. And they're in the, the lineage of Jesus. Why do they fit in? How do they fit into this story instead of other individuals? And as we go through it, we realize this, and probably the most important thing we can pull out of this genealogy is that Jesus didn't come for perfect people. Jesus came because there was sin, and sin needed to be eradicated. Jesus came 
for all so that all could be invited in. But Jesus came because sin existed and needed to no longer exist. And it was the beginning of that mission. But before we dive into Mary's story today, would you repeat after me? Heavenly Father, your word is written in my mind and hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp onto my feet and a light onto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. My greatest desire is to be a disciple and to make more disciples. I will live my life according to your word. Your word, O oh Lord, is eternal. We're going to start by looking at the end of that genealogy. This is Matthew 1, verses 15 and 16. And Eliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathen, and Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Something's different that happens there that doesn't happen anywhere else in the genealogy. You see, so far as we went through this, we see so-and-so had so-and-so had so-and-so. And even in the case of last week when we talked about David and Bathsheba, we see that David had Solomon by the wife of Uriah. So it points out David's issue, David's sin. But in this particular case, Joseph is not identified as the father of Jesus. Joseph in this case it, it makes that comment, is the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So we see something unique happen here. It's referred to as a holy irregularity. That something that we're expecting to have happen doesn't happen. And when it doesn't happen, there's a reason why, because God is up to something in this. So as we study through it, we see things through this list. Like when we see Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba, like those are some surprises to us. When we look at this story with our eyes so many years in the, the future, we look back, we're not surprised by Mary, but when we see this with Joseph, Joseph isn't mentioned as being the father. Something unique is happening here. That I want you to kind of put this into perspective. If you were a kid and you went into your grandparents' house and you saw the family tree, and you know this for some reason that grandpa is not listed as the father of Uncle Johnny, you might start looking like, well, what, what's wrong with Uncle Johnny? Like, and then you start thinking, well, why does Uncle Johnny not look like everybody? And then you go to your mom or you go to your dad and you start asking questions and they start whispering the answer to you. Like, oh, wait, everything makes sense, but I'm so confused on so many different levels. That's kind of what's happening here is in this particular moment, we're expecting to see Joseph, whose son was Jesus. But that's not what we get in this particular moment. Something completely has changed. And we start beginning to see the beginning of a scandal happen. You see, when we looked at Tamar and this, the element of sin that came into that story, it didn't surprise us. It surprised us it was there, but it didn't surprise us with the sin issue. And the struggles with Ruth didn't surprise us, but it was there. And, and Rahab and Bathsheba. But we were thinking we are going to get the Mary story and everything was going to be squeaky clean, that everything was going to be great and nice. And part of the reason is something that we look at in our American culture and even the culture today. We like to say that Christmas can be commercialized. And there's all these commercials that make everything look good. And this is what you're supposed to buy. And this is what you're supposed to do. And these are your expectations. But one of the things that's happened to the Christmas story as well is it's been kind of deodorized and romanticized. Where we've taken away the difficult struggles of the story. 
You see, for us, we can sing Christmas carols and everything feels good. We can sing Silent Night and it makes us feel good. We can sing all these different songs and we feel good because we have our perspectives of today because we know that Jesus came, that Jesus did his job, he accomplished his mission, he rose from the dead, he ascended back into heaven and he's coming again. We can hear that story and we can be good with that story. But in this moment, there is all kinds of scandal going on. This story wasn't so comfortable when it was actually being written, when it was actually happening in real time. You see, because Mary is preparing for the birth of a Savior, is walking through struggle and walking through a scandal. She's done absolutely nothing wrong, but mud's being thrown all over her name. People likely couldn't get Mary's name out of their mouth because you're living in a small town. They're looking at Mary and saying, did you see what Mary did? Like Joseph, he's not the husband. Or he's the husband, he's not the father. And in that moment, like, who did Mary get together with? What's wrong here? But Mary's faithfully going through the struggle, but she is able to celebrate because she knows what's it's happening. She knows what's coming. And ultimately, this part of the story needs to exist because deep down in real human existence, it's a story that includes brokenness and sin and pain, and it explains the exact reason why Jesus needed to come. It's the exact reason why Jesus needed to come. If everything was perfect, if everything was great, Jesus wouldn't need to come. But think of your own life for a moment. Even if everything feels good today, there's been moments of struggle. And when we're in the moments of struggle, we're trying to struggle through to get through them quicker. But when we get through on the other side of struggle, here's the thing that we always realize. Testimonies come through times of struggle. And when we get to the uh, ability to tell the testimony, we see this is where Jesus was all along. Let me encourage you, if you have a testimony, you need to tell people, this is where I was, this is where Jesus has taken me to. It's easy to tell Mary's testimony because we see the full fruition of it. But your testimony, what's God done in your life? What's God pulling you through? What's God brought you through? And then in Matthew 1, we see that Joseph comes to the same conclusion that a lot of the people around him are coming to. This is Matthew 1, 18 through 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. We're told that Joseph is a righteous man and that concept of righteousness in the gospel of Matthew is essential. It's a big deal because we're trying to prove the righteousness of Jesus. So when you see words like righteousness and Joseph thrown around, they're important. And at this time, righteousness was important for a covenant people of Israel. Because in order to be made right with God, you had to be holy. And the only way you could be holy is if you did the right sacrifices, that you avoided sin. And you walked a very, very thin line. And Joseph was known for being righteous. Joseph was known for doing the right things. And so all of a sudden, he gets mixed up in a scandal. That he didn't sign up for. He didn't agree to anything. And all of a sudden, this, this woman that he's about to marry is being mixed up in a scandal and people are talking about her and she's apparently pregnant. His perception has to be that Mary cheated on him. What other explanation could there be? What else could be going on here? And he has the right in this culture that he can maintain his righteousness and he can uh, throw her out to the street. He can yell at her. He can have her stoned. But he doesn't choose to do any of those things because he's righteous and he's representing the love that is coming from God. 
He doesn't know it yet, but he is stepping in and fulfilling what God would have him to do. It's not the end of the story. And so while he's making these plans, something happens. And we get to verse 20 of chapter 1. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Behold, uh, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So again, it takes an angel to convince Joseph. An angel of the Lord had to persuade Mary as well to, that this was going to happen. Just throwing this out there, whenever you hear that song, Mary, did you know? Yes, I'll answer the question. Mary knew because an angel came and told her. You see, here's the interesting thing even with that song is we can sing that song today. and we, It's nice lyrics and it's, it's that reminder. But in reality, people are questioning and people are asking, like, Mary, what would you do? And Mary's saying, well, an angel came to me. Joseph is saying, an angel came to me and said, confirmed and said this is right. Could you imagine how that conversation could have went? Someone coming up to Joseph, well, what's, what's happening with Mary? Well, it's okay. An angel came and talked to her and said, you're going to have a baby. You believe her? Yeah, an angel came and talked to me too. So both of you are hearing from angels now? Oh, okay, okay, Joseph. Good luck. We hear that, and we would think, you know what, maybe Joseph and Mary have lost it a little bit. See, there's moments where people have said, well, why didn't Jesus come today? Because if Jesus came today, then all of a sudden we could put Jesus on, on social media. We could put him on Facebook, TikTok, uh, Twitter, all these different places. We could put him on CNN, Fox News. We could put him all over the TV. Everyone can know the good news of Jesus Christ. But for this story to work the way that it does... You see, today it would not feel out of place for a couple to get together, have a baby, then get married. In this culture, it did feel different. And when you hear that line of that Joseph took Mary to be his wife but did not sleep with her until Jesus was born, it was to prove the fact that this isn't mine. God's up to something. God's doing something here. Joseph has a mission that comes in his place. that We don't hear a lot of Joseph through uh, through the Bible, especially once you get through the first several years of Jesus' life. But here's one of the things I think Joseph mirrors the heart of God so well. Joseph is identified as righteous, but Joseph's mission is to redefine righteousness, which is what Jesus will ultimately do throughout his life. You see, everybody had an idea of righteousness and what it should look like. So did Joseph. But then all of a sudden, he began to see that this is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus is going to do, and this is who Jesus is going to reach. And all of a sudden, things began to change. He said, you know what? If the angel says yes, this is a message from God, this is what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to do it. Might it be uncomfortable for me? Yes. Might it be uncomfortable for my family? Yes. But if it's God's will, then sign me up. And so often, we need to have that mentality of, Sign me up for what God is calling me to do. Even if it means sacrificing something I would want, even if it means going and, and talking to someone that I don't want to, if it's giving a gift that I don't want to, if it, 
whatever. Because if God can give the greatest gift of all in Jesus Christ to us, what are we supposed to do? And interestingly, you probably have people that are talking about Mary, talking about Joseph behind their back, and saying that you sinned, that there's issues, that there's struggles, that there's drama. But ultimately, none of those things really matter. You see, the religious authorities throughout all of Jesus' life are going to be coming up again and again and accusing Jesus. And it starts right here. The religious authorities are looking at Mary and looking at Joseph and saying, something's up with this kid. And from moment one, they're criticizing Jesus. That Jesus, that you're a sinner, that you're a glutton, that you're a drunkard, that you break the Sabbath, that you hang out with tax collectors, you hang out with prostitutes, you eat with them, that you cannot be the Messiah because you do all of this with sinners, that you are messed up. When in reality, they don't realize the fact that that's the very reason why Jesus had to come. That Jesus had to come because we're all messed up. That we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but those who believe in Jesus Christ will be saved. And when we experience that, things begin to change. And let me just even throw this out there. This is Mark 6, 1 through 6. He went away from there, being Jesus, and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and uh, Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. You see, even when it got to Jesus' active ministry... When he's doing the very things, that he's going places and he's praying for people and people are being healed, demons are being cast out, all kinds of amazing things are happening. But in this particular moment when he's back in his hometown, everyone's looking at, oh, yeah, Mary and Joseph, that's their kid. The very same stigma that was placed on Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus still exists. And so while Jesus came and showed up, They weren't ready to receive him or weren't willing to receive him. And so Jesus was limited in what he could do there because their hearts were hard. Their hearts were cold. They were not willing to receive. And ultimately, that's the thing that we need to realize today is that Jesus is ready, willing, and able to come into anyone's life and to save them and set them free because that was the reason he came in the first place. That's the reason why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate his coming, and when we get to Easter in a few months, we celebrate the sacrifice that he was so that he could make us right and he could uh, finish the job that he came to when he was born of Mary. Why does all of this matter so much? Because when we make statements that, well, Jesus understands and Jesus feels your pain, Jesus does understand and Jesus does feel your pain because while he was sinless, he was perceived to be full of sin. Because everyone looked at him from moment one and said, you are a product of a a non-marriage pregnancy. You were born out of wedlock. That right off the bat, you were a second-class citizen. That you don't matter. That you are, you, there's issues with you. And if you're here today and you would say, I feel like there's so many issues in my past. I feel like people just can't let go of what happened in my past. I feel like I can't move on. I can't go where God wants me to go. You don't have to pay attention to what people say because they didn't, they spoke things like that over Jesus. And guess what? Jesus still accomplished his mission. 
And so for your life today, if you're thinking that, you're perceiving it about yourself, you don't have to stay in your past. Your past is your past for a reason. And that you're able to move forward because Jesus' birth, his perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return set you free from your past. Why was Jesus so willing and desiring to spend time with the sinners and with the strugglers? People would say that it's because Jesus was trying to show that this was okay. No, Jesus hung out with them because he wanted to show them, of, hey, I see you where you are. I see your faults. I see your failures. I hear what people are saying about you. I see the struggles that when he walked up to the woman that was uh, on the ground and the, everyone was ready to throw uh, stones at her and that he draws the line in the sand and begins writing things down. We don't know what he wrote. Personal opinion, this is not gospel, but personal opinion. I believe he started writing down the sins of those that were ready to cast the stones. And they realized, I can't throw a stone because I'm not without sin. The only person that was worthy to throw the stone, to throw the first stone, would have been Jesus. But Jesus doesn't throw the stone because he cares too much about her. But now in that moment, the thing that we need to realize is that while Jesus spent time with the sinners, that Jesus spent time with those that were down and out, that Jesus spent time with individuals that people had given up on, that society would say they, they don't matter, Jesus said, now go and sin no more. That it was a call to come to me, and now it's a call to change and move forward in the direction that I have for you. Do not be willing to stay where you are. That when we look at the Old Testament, we can be marveled about how God is so majestic and so great and he's so big. But ultimately, when we get to this story, we see that Jesus becomes so small in comparison to God the Father. And was willing to come as a baby, to come into a spot that he needs to be protected by earthly parents. He notices the pauper. He notices uh, them and lifts them up. He notices the woman that's uh, struggling to have children, wanting children, and comes uh, to her. That he sees the issues of your life. He sees the struggles going on, and he wants to step in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. It shows how big his love is that he would come and make himself so small. How long, high, wide, and deep his love is for us. When we get to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, it tells us this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You see, we can look at this family tree, we can look at this genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. As we look at it, we can see, well, that person doesn't really belong. Does Tamar really belong in this list leading to Jesus? Does Rahab really belong in this list? Does Ruth really belong in this list? Does Bathsheba really belong in this list? Does Mary belong in this list? But I would question that if at that point, does David belong in that list? Does Abraham? What has any one of us ever done on our own ability to earn the right to be an heir? Galatians 4 tells us. It's simply by believing in what Jesus did for us that we no longer are a slave, but we become sons and daughters of God and that we enter into the very genealogy that we feel like, well, maybe Tamar doesn't really belong there. Why would Matthew use Tamar? But you fit into that same genealogy as well because all of a sudden Jesus opens up everything wide. As we sang just a little while ago that on, with his death, the veil was torn, that we see in the, the gospel 
that the veil was torn and all of a sudden the Holy of Holies, which only the high priest could go once a year, that veil is torn open and all of a sudden the presence of God comes out. That Jesus in that moment was God with us. But as we're going to see as we go into the new year and begin diving into the book of Acts, that Jesus came to tear the veil so that the presence of God can reside in us. So it's not just God with us on our side. We're getting to the point in the story where Jesus walks with us but says, I have to go back so I can bring back the helper so that the helper can reside in you so that you can do even greater things than I did. Because we, every week we finish with the Great Commission because it's our mission to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, it was easy for the Pharisees to look at the outside, but Jesus looks at the inside. Jesus can look at the inside and see, I, I see what's on the outside, but I see what's on the inside. And if I can change what's on the inside, then we'll begin to change what's on the outside. You can try and dress up a pig, but at the end of the day, a pig is still a pig. But when you begin changing the inside, all of a sudden something magical happens in that God can take someone that you thought, well, they're down, they're out, there's no hope, there's no ability. And all of a sudden there's a redemption story about the power of Jesus Christ. And it's why Jesus came. That's the true righteousness. Is Joseph begins to redefine it. Jesus takes it to another level. And all of a sudden, what we expected, what we viewed, what we perceived life to be has now been turned upside down. And all of a sudden, we see Jesus in a different way that we didn't see him before because we were looking for what we wanted. And Jesus didn't come the way we wanted or we expected or we desired, but he came as a baby. He came so that he could live with us and be with us. So that he could redeem all of us. That he could teach us in Matthew uh, chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. Helping us to, to recognize that everyone is our neighbor. That everyone can be in the family of God. That everyone can be called to be loved. That it wasn't just a select people. But everybody would have the ability to meet Jesus, accept Jesus, and have their life changed and transformed for all eternity. If I can have the worship team go ahead and come back up. In just a moment we're going to sing Silent Night. And we're going to take a moment to, to light these candles. As we light these candles in remembrance of the sacrifice that Mary and Joseph made as Jesus entered the world. Because, again, they made this sacrifice realizing that this was a scandal. That this was a little bit crazy. That this was out of the ordinary. That this was abnormal. But Jesus was about to change everything and through willing vessels of Mary and Joseph, everything was about to change. We can look at a song like Silent Night, and for us, it evokes a particular memory, like a thought, emotion, that, oh, this is so great, I'm so grateful for Jesus. But as we sing it today, I want you to put yourself in the perspective of Mary and Joseph. They traveled to Bethlehem, they've had their son, He's laying in a manger. They're in a barn. And I'm sure that there's a spot of the silence where they're in awe and they're in reverence of what God just did. But there's also a particular element of that silence that is Mary and Joseph thinking, like, what's next? What do we get ourselves into? I know we said yes, but where does it go from here? 
And see, and I think that's the element of a song like Mary, Did You Know? Yes, she knew what Jesus uh, was going to be. The angel told her. But she didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. If I, I had Mary here right now, and I would say, Mary, did you know? Did you know what day one was going to be like? Do you know what the accusations that were going to be thrown at you were going to be like? What it was going to feel like? What about when Jesus turned one? Did anyone show up at his birthday party? Did people give up on you? Some of those emotions, because it probably felt silent. It probably felt like everybody's given up on me. Nobody believes in me. Everybody thinks I'm a sinner. Everybody thinks I'm a struggler. Do they really believe what I believe? Because I know what the angel told me. But here's what I, I know this morning for each and every one of us. If we're in Christ, we're a new creation. We're made new. We're redeemed. We're made righteous, not because of anything on our own accord or our own actions, but because Jesus came as a baby and lived that life. That we are redeemed and made whole if we'll simply accept him in our life. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever would believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So this morning as, as we sing Silent Night, if you've never accepted Jesus, it's simple. It's just saying, Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you heal me? Would you restore me? I have so many faults. I have so many failures. I have so many struggles. I don't know if anyone cares about me. I don't know if I have a purpose anymore. I don't know if you can use me. The answer to all that's yes. Because while you may not feel like you're on the, the plan A, you might be on plan B, C, D, E, F. God has the ability to redeem any of those plans and bring you back to his exact will for your life. So this morning, those that I asked to, to come and help light candles, if you would come right now. And if we can dim the lights, we're going to light our candles in remembrance and sing Silent Night this morning.
Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for that night. That silent night that was full of majesty, excitement, worry, uncertainty. Lord, you were there in the midst of all of that emotion. You were there in the midst of that silence. And Lord, I pray right now, even in the silence of the lives of people in this room right now, whatever is going on where they feel like nothing's happening, they're uncertain. Lord, I pray right now, just like you were there in the silence for Mary and Joseph, you would be there in the silence of those situations. You would help us see you when we feel like we can't see you. Lord, because you came to be with us so that you could ultimately be God in us with the Holy Spirit. So as we celebrate Christmas today, God, let it not just be something that we do right now. Let it not just be a moment that we celebrate in a church, but let it be a lifestyle, God, where we say, I don't know what tomorrow might bring, but I know the one who brings tomorrow. And that I will follow after what God says when it makes sense, when it doesn't make sense, because worthy is the land to be praised. Lord, we thank you so much for giving us Jesus so that Jesus could serve as that ultimate sacrifice for us. You saw so far in advance of what we could even imagine, and Lord, you still see in advance of what we can imagine. So Lord, I pray, allow us to be individuals that would continue sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the people that need to hear. In Jesus' incredible name, amen.